0: Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. We are in Romans chapter 7, moving right along at a uh, you know breakneck pace through this book, aren't we? Right? Um, but, uh, but anyway, uh, I feel like we are because there's a lot to cover. There's a lot that we could actually just drill down on that, we, that we're not. Um, but I also want to wish everybody happy February. We're already one twelfth of the year finished already. Um, I am now uh, 49 of your year business years old. And uh, so uh, Monday was uh, my birthday and uh, had my birthday gift, my birthday gift last Sunday night, the Bengals won the AFC championship. Can I get, uh, can I get a hallelujah, right? Um, they are living on all kinds of borrowed time and prayer right now, so we'll see what happens in the Super Bowl. I don't expect much, but I haven't expected much leading into it, so anyway. Um, and by now, to February, you've had plenty of time to get those resolutions out of your system, right? You're back to, back to life as normal, right? Um, each month, each new month, I, I, this is kind of a quirky thing that I do. I don't know if anybody else does this but you know on your there's always just different, uh, every, just about every day is a national celebration of some sort, right? Every month is also a different national celebration as well. So I like to, when a, when a new month hits, I like to see kind of, you know, what are we celebrating this month? What is, what is going on? Some of those things that we know, and then others are just kind of, they're off the radar a little bit, but there are literally people celebrating these things. So we know that February is Black History Month, right? We celebrate, uh, we celebrate the rise of, of African-Americans uh, through, through the dark history of our past, uh, um, but then also, it is also National Cancer Prevention Month, uh, which is a very important, uh, a very important cause for many people. Just about every family, in some way, shape, or form, has been touched by cancer before. Uh, there's also National Self Check Month, also National Enrolled Agents Month. And you're like, what is that? Is that for CIA uh, or FBI agents? No, it's for those who prepare your taxes, because right now they're getting they're getting slammed with that. Uh, unless you've switched over to TurboTax, right? And now they're probably wondering, where is everybody? I need them to come in because that's how they make their living. There's also, and this is some of you I know are celebrating this to the hilt. It's free, open, a free and open source software month, right? Everybody knew about that, right? What that is is, you know, just free software you can download on the internet that has all those viruses connected to them. So it's a national celebration of free and open source software month. Uh, the American Heart Month, uh, National Fasting February, Anybody anybody celebrating that yet? No, I don't think so. Um, which I think is interesting because National Fasting February also happens in canned food month. Okay? Um, And then also then there is an affair to remember month. Why are we celebrating affairs? I'm not sure. Um, And then it's also creative romance month because, you know, it also gives us Valentine's Day. I think it's weird that creative romance and affair month happen at the same time, but whatever. Um, You know, I don't make the calendar. I just report the days, right? Um, It's kind of like our weather casters. I don't make the weather. I just report what may or may not happen and get everybody scared and then it's not as bad as they say it would be. Um, But we also know that February brings us Valentine's Day. If you didn't know that, you've only got like a week to uh, get your flowers and your chocolates and all that stuff. And you walk into the stores, everything is like red and they got red hearts everywhere and balloons and everybody's celebrating the beauty of commercialized love. Hallmark gets extra sappy with their movies and Lifetime just rolls out another men are bad month or, you know, they have this, they had this month long movie marathon called dead end relationships. And you just know that, that, that relationship is going to end with somebody losing their life. Has anybody ever felt like you had a relationship that was that you would call a dead end relationship? Anybody ever been in a dead end relationship? Notice I said have been, past hits, not that you are currently in a dead-end relationship. Dead-end relationships can really like sap you of your soul. They can sap you of everything. It's like one of those relationships that you just kind of know this relationship is going nowhere. Or if it is going somewhere, it's going nowhere good. It's not healthy. Maybe it's a bit toxic. Uh, Maybe it just doesn't seem like it's going to pan out the way that you want it to pan out. Since, since chapter 6 of Romans, that's kind of the analogy that Paul has been using to help us understand uh, all that's changed in the light of the gospel, right? Because we saw in chapters 1 through 5, we saw that we're dead in our trespasses and sins and there is no hope for us on our own. There's nothing that I can do or you can do to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and work our way towards God. That's why God sent Jesus, right? Right? This is the basis of the gospel. We cannot reach God, so God reached down in his love and his mercy and his grace to us. When I could not go to where he was, he came to me. That's the beauty of the gospel. And in chapter 6, we began to turn the corner and see from this theology of understanding the gospel now to the practical application of, now that I have the gospel, now that I'm a child of God, what has changed in my life? Well, Paul says, everything has changed, right? You're not even the same person you used to be. You're not even a better version of who you used to be. You are brand new. You've been raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. And everything is brand new. That also means that all of my relationships with the world around me and the way that I live my life is new as well. This is the thing. Everything is new, but we're still stuck in this old place, right? I wish that when I was saved, I got my perfected body that I'm going to get one day in heaven. But I'm still dealing with the flesh, right? And I'm still dealing with more flesh than I want to deal with right now. That's why I'm celebrating national fasting February, okay? Um, But, you know, we're always dealing with the flesh. Sin doesn't get obliterated. It is obliterated from our record. It is covered by the blood of Jesus. But sin still lives out in the margins and continues to tempt us. And not so much it's just tempting us lighter. Sometimes the temptation is worse, right? Right? Sometimes it's harder you say this sounds like a rep- repeat of last week. It is, but we're going to be moving into something different today But chapter 6 we've been dealing with this idea that the gospel changes everything and the gospel makes us new That's the overriding theme of chapter 6 and chapter 7 because of the gospel Everything is new. Nothing is the same and he used these analogies in chapter 6 He said we were dead in sin But now because of Jesus, we are dead to sin. Meaning, I have died to sin. Sin no longer has that grip on me that is dragging me to hell. I am freed from that. We were also, we looked at last Sunday, that we were enslaved to sin. But now we've been purchased by Jesus to serve righteousness. That before I was under the oppression and the bondage of sin. And I had no other choice but to serve sin and serve serve sin pressing in on me. But now because of Jesus, he has given me a way of escape. He has freed me to where I can serve him now. And we also learned that we can't serve sin and righteousness at the same time, right? You can't be serving both the good and the bad at the same time. There are no double agents when it comes to the Christian life. You're either for him or you're against him. And just because you have been purchased by him doesn't mean you can't can't at times step out and work against him. That's the part of this new life that we have is now that we've been given a choice. In our text this morning, we're going to see Paul use another analogy. And I think it's appropriate that as we're moving into love month, into February that we're going to be looking at this analogy of the marriage relationship today, okay? Uh, So this is going to be be fun. So let's look at this and understand that this is an analogy that Paul is using for us to understand this relationship and this newness that we have in Christ. And he says in verse number one, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13, but I want to just dive in by reading verses 1 through 6, okay? Paul says this, Since I am speaking to those who know the law, brothers and sisters... Don't you know that the law rules over someone only so long as he lives? Okay. For example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is then released from the law regarding the husband. So then if she is married to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. Then if she is married to another man, she is no longer or she is not an adulteress. Therefore, my brothers and sisters... You also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. But now we've been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the old letter of the law. I want to focus in really closely on verse number four. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. May God bless the reading of his word. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us through this. I pray that I would hide behind the cross. And I pray that you would do your work uh, in us and through us this morning. Speak truth to our hearts. In Jesus' Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we have now been given this new life. We've been given a new relationship. And now we've also been given a new groom. Okay, One thing I love about and one of the beautiful parts of Scripture is when Scripture begins to liken the Christian relationship and specifically the church of Jesus Christ as being the bride of Christ. That Christ is our groom. He, has, he loves us. He has given himself for us and even the picture now, especially in the ancient view of marriage, Uh, in the old Jewish understanding is that a husband, once he was betrothed, would go off and prepare a place for them to live. And when he was done preparing their home, he would come and he would take his bride. That's what Jesus is doing for us now in heaven. And one day he's going to come and he's going to receive his bride to himself so that we can be with him always. It's beautiful. But what we have to understand is for that marriage to happen... And for that marriage to take place and what makes that marriage so beautiful is the horrible, awful, toxic, dangerous, dead-end relationship and marriage that we were in before Jesus Christ. See, we did not come to him as just someone who did not have a previous relationship. And what I catch from chapter 6 and 7 is that really what we are in Jesus, what we are before the Lord, before God, there's not a lot that we offer. We're really just broken baggage that comes to him. Because we've been broken and beaten down by this relationship that we have to sin. Being enslaved to sin and being dead in our trespasses and sins. And then we also see in chapter 7 this morning, he flips from looking at our relationship with sin into our relationship with the law. Because the law is what pronounces sin upon us. And understanding the law is what leaves us feeling condemned. And it's why sin continually drags us down in condemnation. So after he uses, and he uses this illustration to help us understand it, this time he uses the example of marriage. So over the next two sermons, we're going to be looking at this analogy and looking at ourselves as brides who were once married to the law, but now because of the gospel, we are now married to Christ. And law was a rough, dead-end relationship. And the marriage with Christ is one that is free and is loving. And it is, it is where he has his hands open to us, receiving us. It is one that builds us up, never tears us down. And what I understand is we are all damaged goods when we're thinking about this. When I think about myself and when I think about my nature, when I, think about, when I think about my shortcomings, even as a child of God, even as a preacher, I think I am damaged goods and why should God love me like he does? And the answer is he shouldn't, but he does. That's why he's the lover of our souls. So in spite of the damage In spite of the damage that we bring into this relationship, Jesus loves us perfectly and completely. So there's a couple things from this analogy that we have to understand. And the first thing is, and this is more going to be a a teaching section of the message, and we'll get into the application part in a second. But number one, we are all married to the law. We are all born in a prearranged marriage to the law. Verses one through three, Paul lays out this truth that he's preached several times since chapter one. But this time he uses this parable type analogy to help understand it a better, a little bit better. And because of our, our cultural approach today, our modern cultural approach to marriage, we may miss some of the nuance that Paul is talking about here. So because our understanding of marriage today is two people of their own accord come together and they feel bound by love to one another and they wanna make a commitment that yes, I will marry you, I will come together, we will form a house and a home and we will legally bind together but it is the bond of love that truly brings us together and so two starry-eyed kids stand at an altar before a preacher and in front of a a bunch of a lot of guests and they take these vows that you take this man and you take this woman as your lawfully wedded bride or husband till death do you part and we're not thinking about the Binding of the law because the bond of love is so strong that the bond of love is never going to make the bond of the law really become the only thing that holds us together. That's why we see the divorce rate so high as we do in our modern day culture because marriage is not looked at the way it was portrayed here in the scripture right here. It looks like you can't get out of it, right? And back then, those days, you really couldn't get out of it and especially if you were a woman, you couldn't get out of it. There were rights that were given to the husbands that weren't given to the wives. It's not that way in our culture. So we look at this sometimes and we miss some of the nuances of this relationship and of this analogy, The second thing that we have to understand, when we look at the ancient understanding of marriage, marriage wasn't always brought together by two people falling in love and saying, hey, I want to get married. If you look back through history, this modern idea that we have in our society today, and in some societies through the world, and even today in other societies that are a little less advanced than ours today, they still have this idea of marriage, that marriage is not something that is first and foremost primarily leveled and levied on the love that the couple has for one another. It was levied for political advancement. It was levied for financial responsibilities. Most of the marriages were arranged before, before, they, before the husband and wife ever even came to adulthood uh, because families decided there was a dowry to be paid and it was more of a financial move. And if you were royalty especially, then it was already arranged for you because it was for political alliances and all these things. And so the law came first the marriage, the legal bond came first, and hopefully the love came later. Hopefully they learned to love one another. It was a little bit backwards there, but the legal bound was strong, and the legal bound was hard to ever get out of, especially, like I said, especially in the case of the bride. Now, here's what I want to say. It's important to understand that Paul's analogy that he uses here is not his theological stance on what marriage should look like. He's using an illustration of the day that everybody knew in the laws of the land that day. In the Roman Empire, it was that way. In Jewish society, it was that way and it was that way for a long time. So he is, this is not a theological teaching on the standards of marriage in this passage. It's also just like he was, we talked about with slavery. It's not a theological endorsement on that as well, on divorce and things like that. That comes a little bit later. This is an analogy that is being used. His point was to use... This tight bond and nature of marriage to show the almost unbreakable bond that we have with the law. This unbreakable bond that we have with the law. Marriage, this was a marriage that was arranged at birth. Again, none of us have a choice. We're born married to the law. We're born under the scrutiny of the law. We're all under this marriage and law to God. And God's law, whether we accept it or not, applies to us all. His law is standard for holiness, and we looked at that in depth in, in the Ten Commandments. But no matter how many, how many times people say, "Oh, I don't believe in God, therefore I don't have to follow the things that God says, we're still going to stand before God and be judged by God's law, even if we don't believe in it. We're all married to the law, even if we don't recognize the relationship. Even if you say, I'm not a Christian, and I don't follow God's rules, or the rules of the church, we still follow a law. See, Paul's not just talking about God's law here. He's talking about the laws that we follow and what we have to understand, this is the definition of a law according to Paul. A law is whatever standard you think proves your worth and acceptance. To a higher power or to society, whatever gives you fulfillment, not just physical fulfillment, but spiritual fulfillment, emotional fulfillment, whatever is the cornerstone that I stand on in my life. Whatever you're believing in for humanity. It's whatever you're centering your life on to establish your identity, it's whatever you look to as the standard to achieve, to assure you that everything will be okay in the future, it's how we establish our worth, and many people may say, I don't have any of that going on, but we all have it in some way. We've all built this system, this box that we live our life in, and we have to have certain things in order to feel like life is going on and life is worth living. But what we have to understand is this marriage with law is arranged at birth, but this marriage is also a dead-end relationship. It's a dead-end relationship. We've inherited this prearranged marriage, but it is unbreakable as well. It's almost, it's nearly inescapable. The only way out of this marriage is through death. Just like Paul said in marriage, the only way out of that relationship once a person was married was death. That's why we still say in our vows today, till death do us part. It's a lifelong contract and the only way out is through death. Romans chapter seven, verse number one, our text says, don't you know that the law rules over someone as long as he lives? He says, the minute you're born to the minute you die, the law has you and you belong to the law. You can't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'm just gonna divorce the law. I think I'm just gonna say to the law, you know what, you are no longer over me. I'm gonna live my own life and I don't have to follow any of those rules. I think I'm gonna start seeing other laws. I think I'm just gonna start seeing other laws or I'm gonna go talk to the law and see if he's interested in an open relationship so that I can start seeing other laws around too. No, we're married to the law and the law is a, sorry, this, take this moment to t- silence your cell phones as a small reminder. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, no, I don't wanna extend my car's warranty, I'm fine. Um, so we're all married to the law. We can't deny it, we can't avoid it, and we can't ignore it. All of us follow a systematic approach to our lives of things that we're serving, things that we think we have to accomplish in order to be acceptable. But this marriage number two, after the thing we have, we're all married to the law, this marriage number two is always gonna bring out the worst in us. This marriage that we have with the law always brings out the worst in us, is that? Because the law can never be satisfied. The law can never be fulfilled. So we've all heard stories of toxic relationships, haven't we? We've all all seen examples of toxic relationships, right? I mean, heck, that's what reality TV thrives on, isn't it? Right? We wouldn't even have the reality TV market if it weren't for toxic relationships. I don't even think you would have TLC, uh, the the network, which is ironically called the learning channel, but right now it's just the the toxic relationship channel. One of the common traits of toxic relationships is that they always seem to bring out the worst in people, right? It presents so much chaos and so much drama that people respond in such horrible, toxic ways. And for some reason, we're all entertained by that until it happens to us. See, verse 5 makes it sound like this marriage with the law is a toxic relationship. Look at verse number 5. It says, For we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. I don't know about you, but a relationship that leads to death is pretty toxic. That's what Lifetime will show you in their movies. Seems like Paul's pretty hard on the law, all right? All the way through, it seems like Paul's been really hard on the law. He's basically called out legalists over and over and over and over again. But really what Paul's doing is he's calling out the two things that lead to death. Sin. Sin is going to kill us. And the law will never lead us to life. It only shows us where we fall short. It will never fulfill us. It, will, it only presents the problem. It never presents the solution. So it's a toxic relationship with the law. It's, a, it's, a, it's an empty relationship. See, the law, the only thing the law is really there to do is expose our sin. It exposes where we fall short. Look at verse number seven. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. But I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I wouldn't have known what it was to covet if the law had said, do not covet. See, Paul is basically saying, before you go get mad at your husband, the law, at your spouse, the law, understand that he's doing his job. He's doing the best he can do. And God designed the law to always fall short. But he designed the law to do one thing. He designed the law to expose our sin. See, that's the role of the law. The role of the law is not to be good or to be bad or to be sinful or to be righteous. The role of the law is to be a tool to reveal our sin and our need for more, our need for God. It's kind of like a full-length mirror. How many of you have a full-length mirror at home? I have, we have a couple of them at our house. I really like one of them and I really hate the other one. For some reason, one mirror is perfectly, it's spot-on. I look skinny and thin in that and the other one, I look like I look like I'm about four inches wider. So that, that one is off. It needs to be recalibrated and I like that other one that makes me look skinny, right? Um, but what's the purpose of a full-length mirror? To make sure the whole thing is looking right. That gives you the whole picture, right? So the law is kind of like this mirror that you stand in front of. Now picture having a mirror that not only do you have the mirror where you get to see your whole picture, but now you have an outline of your ideal body size and body makeup. It's what you should be at your ideal BMI and, and everything. So your arms look like they should look, your waistloins. And every time you step into that image and you look, you realize, I don't measure up. I don't measure up. This is what I'm supposed to look like, but this is what I really look like and this is where I fall short. You either don't fit the image or you fit the image and then some and you are left thinking, why can't I measure up? And no matter what you do, you never fill the image. Why? Because the image is perfection and you can't attain it on your own. See, all, that's all the law does. The law says, here's God's standard, meet it. And God knows that we're never gonna meet it. And it's to show us where grace exists. See, the law also reveals our sin, but the law also reveals our damaged heart. Now, let me ask you ladies, wouldn't you want a husband just like that that always points out your imperfections and your flaws? Right? That's a toxic relationship. That's not gonna go well, right? Husbands, do you want a wife that's always pointing out where you mess up, where you don't do well? No, we don't. We want someone that supports us. It's the law, and Paul says this, the law was just doing his job with me, right? It's where I saw the law is where I saw myself as, as, as the worst. And the law also reveals our damaged heart. And so this is where it gets really good. So hang on. Paul says this. He says, look, man, if it weren't for the law, I wouldn't have known how bad I really was. So you remember we, all the way back in, at chapter 1 in the very first sermon of this series, at Paul, and his life, and his reputation. Paul was one of those guys. He was the Pharisee of all Pharisees. He, did, he was the goody-goody of all the goody-goody. He was the goody-goodiest of the goody-goods, all right? He did everything right in everybody's eyes, followed the law to the hilt until he got to commandment number 10. And he said, if it were not for thou shalt not covet, I wouldn't have known what sin was. But it was covetousness that revealed how poisoned my heart really is. Coveting, and Martin Luther said this, coveting is the one that got him. He says, a righteous heart is a healthy heart, and it doesn't covet, but I covet, and so therefore my heart is not pure. And in verse number eight, reading through verse number 13, says this, Paul says, and sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me, coveting of every kind. So what Paul is saying there is, he said, I wanted to honor God. I was following all the laws, and so when it got to coveting, and I realized that I coveted, I tried hard not to covet, so I tried to do all the good things again, and it just revealed how little I was. And I looked at other people who looked to be happy, and I wasn't happy, and then I was jealous of them. And so trying to not covet made me covet even more. He says, once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life again, and I died. And the commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me. And through it, it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Therefore, did what, is, did what is good become death to me? Absolutely not. But sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. Again, Paul said, I was a pretty good guy according to the law. I did all the things the right way. I did all of those things. But Martin Luther said the 10th commandment is the one that you can't fake. Because it's the one that all the other commandments flow out of. It's the only commandment that deals with the heart. We talked about this in our Ten Commandments series. Paul said he could externally conform to all the other commandments. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't do all those things. But when he got to don't covet, that was one that wasn't externally motivated. It was one that was through the heart. And here's what he found out. Covetousness, covetousness caused him to engage in all of the other things. Caused him to want to steal. Caused him to want to do all, to murder. Caused him to want to do all of those other things. You see, the reason we steal is because we covet what somebody else has and we want it. The reason we commit adultery is because we want something or someone that God hasn't given to us. The reason that we lie is because we covet a better reputation or we covet what the truth cannot get us. See, all of our sins, all of the commandment breaking is rooted in covetousness. And so Paul says, Man, I can do all the right things, but I still got a broken heart. I'm still damaged goods. And so he's sitting there thinking, oh man, how am I going to make up for this? And so he's saying, well, maybe if I not only don't steal, but I also give to other people. And then he realized that that was also covetousness because he wasn't really doing it because God had laid it upon his heart. He was doing it because he wanted to make Paul better. Because he kept coveting something that he didn't think he had. See, it's the one that's behind all of the other ones. Verse 8 said that recognizing that guilt of covetousness caused him to begin coveting even more. And here's how that portrays to our marriage. Sometimes you're in a relationship with someone that can't be satisfied. Other times you're in a relationship where you've decided you're never going to be satisfied. So it's both ends. The law will never be satisfied and we're also in a relationship that no matter how hard we try to satisfy the law, we find out we're never going to be satisfied either because I've got problems, too. I've brought myself, I've brought my damaged goods into that relationship, too. The other problem with this marriage, number three, is that it never gives us what we need. The marriage with the law will never give us what we need. All it's going to do is leave us broken, insecure, and a jealous mess, staring at our faults, staring at our flaws, and wondering, is this what life is going to be? This constant beating myself down to where I would rather be dead than alive. And that's what Paul was describing there in verses 7 through 13. The toxic relationship takes us back to that mirror, and it points out where we don't measure up, and it never provides us with the solution or the support that we need in order to be better. It's because the law will never offer acceptance. The law will always take us to that mirror and say, look, there's where you don't measure up and walk away. Never say there's where you don't measure up, but it's okay. I love you anyway. We'll never offer acceptance. Remember what we said earlier about what the law really is. The law is whatever standard that we think proves our worth to ourselves, to the people around us, and if in a religious way, it's whatever we think proves our worth to God. So if you're a religious person and looking at the religious law, you try to be a good enough Christian so that God takes care of you and keeps bad things from happening. But what happens when bad things happen? Does that mean that God's not, you've got two options. Either God's not good, or I've not been good enough for God to take care of me. But that's not how God is operating. What he is saying is sometimes I'm going to be good, you're going to be good, and bad things are going to happen, and my goodness is seen in the fact that I'm there with you through it. I accept you in it. See, so you try to look good. You read the right amount of chapters. You try to get through your Bible in a year. You don't steal. You go to church every Sunday. You tithe off of every dollar, and all of those things are good things, but they're, do- they're done for the, right re- the wrong reasons. You're trying to do them to be accepted by God when he's already done the accepting. He's already accepted you. Obeying the law is not, we don't obey the law because we want God to see us and say, man, there is a superstar Christian down there, man. We don't try to please God as a church for God to look down and say, that's one of my all-star churches. We please God and we follow his law because he's already fulfilled everything in us. We have been accepted by him. So if you're not religious, you say, well, I don't do that anyway because I don't really know if there is a God You still have that law that you follow, remember? You make sure you get as good of a degree as you can. You amass as many skills as you can in your skill set. You show your talents as much as you can. You work as hard as you can. You post as many videos as you can to go viral. You try to be as good a parent as you can and keep your kids from every harm and everything that goes on. And you work as hard as you can at it, but guess what? It's still gonna go awry because we live in a broken world. And then where do you turn when it goes wrong? Because we believe that if I do all of those things, that's gonna mold me into the image that I'm supposed to fit into the mirror. I got this image of what a perfect mom looks like or a perfect dad. I got this image of what I need to be as a provider for my household. I got this image of what it looks like to be a good citizen or a good friend. And it's inevitable that we're gonna not measure up at times. Inevitable. And then where do we find our acceptance? You see, the law will never give us acceptance. It will only show us where we are not acceptable. The law also never delivers love. We need acceptance and we need love. And see, this is what's missing from every toxic relationship. True, real, healthy, nurturing, selfless, relentless love. See, the law take you to that mirror, let you stare at it, broken, wondering how it's ever going to get better, and leave you abandoned there. And leave you thinking, maybe if I meet that image, I'll gain what I need. I'll gain that love. It leaves you there in nothing but condemnation. It leaves you there in the relationship or in the realization that you're not worthy of love. It always reminds you this relationship that I had no choice in is never going to lead me anywhere good. It's never going to give me what my heart is longing for. I want to know that I've been accepted. I want to know that I am loved. I want to know that. And the only way out is death. This is why I think we see an epidemic of suicide in our world today. Because we live in a world where we can find as much as we want, but we're still not finding the source of what we need. The only way out of this constant rat race of being good enough, many people think, is death. And you know what? As Paul says, that's right. And it's in death, spiritual death, that we find that hope. Number four, and I know we're running out of time, so I want to be quick with this. We saw three very negative truths. Number one, we're born married to the law, and there's no choice in it. Number two, the law is always going to make us fall short, and the law is always going to remind us of that we're not getting what we need. And number four, the good news is, the gospel declares that Jesus will free you from this dead-end relationship. The gospel declares that there is freedom From this dead end relationship. Look at verse number four again. Therefore, my brothers and sisters. So, who is he talking to? He's talking to the bride of Christ. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the believers. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. See, in Paul's analogy and in the cultural reality of that day, The only hope for a woman to be freed from a bad end marriage was death, either the death of her husband or her death. But when it comes to our spiritual marriage to the law, freedom is brought through two deaths and also two resurrections. See, what Paul is saying here is, number one, that we have to understand, and this is just the gospel, Jesus died and rose again to prove his love for us. Our new suitor, the one who said, I can be a better husband to you. I can be that perfect groom. But I know what it's going to take. It's going to take death. He died and he rose again to prove his love for us. Trapped in a loveless Toxic relationship with the law and dead in our sins in a relationship with something that could only tell us where we fell short and could Never offer us a solution. Here's what Jesus did. He became the solution Romans chapter 5 verse 8 But God approved or demonstrate or commended his love towards us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us He died on the cross to pay for our sins All those things that we, when we stand in front of that mirror and find out I don't measure up and all of the things that we try to do to measure up that completely lead us away from the law of God, he says, I will pay for those. Something the law never could do. I pay for those sins. I pay for all of that damaged goods. I pay for all of it. I take the debt for all of it. Our text says that now we belong to Jesus who was raised from the dead so that we may bear fruit for God, not fight and scrape and claw our way to acceptance and trying to earn love and trying to be better and trying to just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. I don't have to scrape and claw and fight and prove that I'm better because I already know I'm not. Jesus knew I'm not and He loves me anyway. We've died to sin. So that's the first death and resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because without that one, this next one doesn't mean a hill of beans. Number two, we have died to sin and we have died to the condemnation of the law as well. We have died. The Bible says we have died with Christ. When we put our faith and trust in him, we who are dead in trespasses and sins, we've died to death, we've died to the law, we've died to the condemnation and we live again in Jesus Christ the one who loved us and gave himself for us. We're dead to the law and sin and now freed from the, con- the condemnation. Again, it wasn't that the law was right or wrong in the relationship. It just couldn't offer us what fulfills us. And so the way out of that relationship is to die to that old relationship and to live again in the new relationship of the acceptance and the love of Jesus Christ. And now we see we've been raised to new life in Christ and now married to grace in verse number six. But now we've been released from the law. Since we have died to what held us, so that we may serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the old letter of the law. See, Jesus took us dead and broken and he raised us up and now we are married to grace in him. And here's what this all means for us as we come to a close. Here's what this all means for us. It doesn't mean that we don't look in the mirror anymore. We still have the mirror. It doesn't even mean that that outline is not there anymore. We still have the outline. The law still exists. The law still applies. It still does. And it's still going to rear its ugly head from time to time. But here's what it does mean. It means that when you look in the mirror now and you're expecting to see all the places that you miss and all the imperfections of that outline, you don't see yourself in the mirror anymore. You see that the outline is perfectly filled, but it's not by your image. It's by the image of Jesus Christ. See, because he stepped in that place. And he says, in me, you are made acceptable. In me, you are loved. In me, you no longer owe the law a thing. In me, sin is defeated. In me, you have everything you need. This is a new relationship, a relationship of grace. Does it mean that we're not gonna mess up? No, it doesn't mean we're not going to mess up. We're going to mess up all the time. But every time we go back to that outline, we never see our image. We see the image of Jesus has already filled it. It's already covered. And it becomes then our joy to follow him. Our pleasure to obey his law. The law no longer becomes this nagging, tormenting shadow hanging over our head. It becomes this beautiful thing that makes our relationship with Jesus much more meaningful much more intimate, and makes us much more like him. Because the Bible says when we're born again, we are conformed to the image of God, the image of Christ. I don't know about you, but I need that, man. Because recently all I've been doing is staring at the mirror and ignoring that Jesus is standing there. It's like I'm behind Jesus and I'm just peeking around like alright let me take a look at how I'm really looking and feeling like I shouldn't even approach Jesus because I'm just so you know when your dreams start to change and things get tough and all that stuff when Jesus is constantly saying man you don't have to go back to that you're mine I have fulfilled everything for you and you rest in me and for some of you either in here out there, that's what you need to do. You need to stop trying to fill it all on your own and you need to learn to rest in the groom. Rest in Jesus. Come to that dead end relationship. The only way out of that relationship is death. Die to yourself and live in Jesus. So as we bow our head and as we close our eyes this morning, I just want to ask two questions. Number one, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? If you don't know Jesus, come to him today. He died and rose again so that you could die to sin and live in him. He says, the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He commended his love when he died for us. If you don't know Christ, talk today on the comment section if you're watching virtually or in here today, talk to me, talk to somebody before you leave. We want to see you come to know Christ. That's job one. Job two is we walk with Jesus now that we're in this new relationship. We're no longer in a dead-end relationship. We're in a relationship that leads to life and grace and love and acceptance. But man, how quickly we can step out of that. Maybe you just need to step back in, step behind Jesus. Let him fill that image that you're seeing in the mirror and understand. I am in Christ. I am in Christ. And he is in me doesn't mean that we take our get out of hell free card and just go off and do whatever we want. No, our relationship with the law changes. The law now, instead of becoming something that condemns me and showing me where I fall short, becomes something that helps me understand my Savior more, conforms me to his image, and it becomes our delight. If the law, if if following the Lord, if what his word says, his precepts, are not something that are delightful to us today, maybe it's because we're not delighting in the law giver. If that's a problem today, maybe we should talk about it as well. Because it's a beautiful relationship. Heavenly Father, have your way and will in this time of invitation. Move in us in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand today. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org click on the contact us section or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10:30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.